Welcome to my top 10 oral surgery tips. I use these 10 things that I'm about to share with you on an almost daily basis in my private practice. I've been in private practice for 21 years. I'm a board certified oral and maxillofacial surgeon. These are not listed in any particular order, but I'm going to go through them rapid fire, share them with you. I'll put some links in the notes where you can go and find any of these products that I mentioned. I'm not an affiliate. I'm not selling anything. These are just recommendations based on my clinical experience and the fact that I like these items that I use and I want to share them with you. So number 10, number 10 is a C-sponge. C-sponge is nothing more than the throat screen. We use these every day, all day when we're doing procedures. It doesn't matter if I'm removing teeth, I'm doing implants, bone grafts. If I'm putting an instrument in someone's mouth, there's a C-sponge in there all the time. Uh, we had an event and an occurrence a few years ago with an implant patient. We were doing a screw-retain immediate load denture for a patient. Uh, I walked out of the room, and the restorative dentist that I was working with came to me uh, shortly after I left the room, and he was quite peaked looking. He was ghostly white. He had dropped an instrument down the patient's. We didn't know if it was the airway or the throat. We had to take the patient over to the local emergency room uh, or radiology department and get a chest x-ray. Fortunately, it was in the patient's GI tract, passed without event, but it is not something you want to have happen to you, and it can happen to you. I mean, we're working in this area, and it, and it can occur, but we weren't, we weren't um, wanting that to occur, obviously, and I had not left the sea sponge in for him, and he didn't place one, and that thing got away from him, and we ended up, everything worked out fine. There was no uh, sequela to that, negative sequela to that, fortunately, but that is a story that I tell just to reinforce the idea that you need a throat screen of some capacity. I don't care if it's a four by four, but sea sponges, what we use, my team uses them. Uh, they sterilize them within our surgical packs, so they're easy to manage. They come in bulk, and I'll put a link in here, and you can buy those in bulk for yourself, and I recommend something along that line. Number nine, hemostatic gauze. We use a product called SureStop. It's a commercial name of a hemostatic gauze. It's cellulose-based. It's resorbable. It helps stop bleeding. I use this in almost all of my extraction sites. Full mouth extractions is wonderful. Put an immediate denture over this. It's great. It comes pre-cut and a bubble pack. There's usually two pieces in each bubble, uh, 20 pieces in a, in a total box of this stuff, and you can cut it in smaller pieces. You can add extra to bigger extraction sites. Sometimes I'll put extra in a third molar stri uh, extraction site. And these things resorb. We don't have to take them out. They heal. Patients heal well with them. And they have been very helpful when you have patients that have disease, soft tissue. It'll help stop the bleeding, the oozing from around extraction sites and surgical sites. It will help with people that you, maybe you couldn't get them off aspirin. Maybe their medical uh, doctor wouldn't take them off the aspirin prior to a surgical extraction and they were bleeding a little bit more. You can use this to help stop the bleeding. Uh, or if it's an emergency surgery and the patient's on anticoagulants, this will help stop the bleeding. And I'm a big believer in it. And we have it in stock on our shelves in bulk all the time, just like the sea sponges. So uh, two big products, sea sponge number 10, hemostatic gauze number nine. 
Number eight. Now, this one might be a little odd to you, but we use disposable number 15 blade scalpels. And we went to this a few years ago, had a team member that injured themselves taking a blade off of a uh, blade handle. Fortunately, it was clean, but it still was an injury and immediately started thinking about how we could do things better. And I stole this idea from the local hospital. I'm an affiliate surgeon at a Vanderbilt facility here in my town, and they use these disposable number 15 blade scalpels, and they have a safety mechanism where you can cover the blade and retract this safety mechanism to expose the blade, depending on what you're doing with it. So anytime I lay it down on the tray, it's closed. And anytime I pick it up, I just open it to expose the blade to use it in the surgical field. So disposable number 15 blade scalpels are a little more expensive. Your overhead's going to go up. But in my mind, the cost is well worth the reduction in risk and potential injury to you, your patients, and to your team. So a disposable number 15 blade scalpel is number eight on my list. Number seven on my list, Russian forceps. Now, many times in the past, I would have hemostats trying to pick up roots or tooth or tooth fragments or maybe some porcelain that popped off a crown or a crown from when I was taking out a tooth and it dislodged. And these things don't always work well in my hands. And you're losing this, especially with a, a full, fully intact tooth that you extract and you're trying to pick it up with a force that it's slipping out, it's popping around, it's bouncing around in the patient's mouth, in the vestibule. Uh, if you got your C-sponge in, you're protecting yourself from going down the airway, of course. But even then, this thing is unpredictable. So I started using Russian forceps. And these things have wide tips on them. They have teeth you can grasp with them. And I have found them to be invaluable when it's removing uh, loose fragments and teeth from the oral cavity. And we use them all the time. Uh, I don't hardly ever use a hemostat unless I'm trying to fish out a root tip that I can't a Russian forcep down in the extraction site. So number seven for me, Russian forceps. You should check those out and get a few pair of those to put them on your surgical trace because I think you'll learn to like them. Number six, not an instrument. I've talked about instruments and products, but this one's not an instrument. And I adopted this. I stole this and adopted it in my practice from the local hospital. And this is what we do when we go into the hospital. Before you start a surgical procedure in the OR, the nurse that's in charge of the operating room will have a surgical timeout or a patient timeout. And we basically go through and we cover the patient's name, any allergies, what the surgical plan is, what the plan procedure is, location, tooth numbers, as well as any discrepancies. Are there any questions about that procedure? So that surgical time out, we do it with awake patients and sedated patients. It's really valuable in sedated patients because obviously they can't disagree with you if they you know, hear you talking about the wrong area or the wrong tooth or the wrong site, but we we use it all the time. And it's a just a wonderful tool to keep you from putting a forcep or an instrument on the wrong tooth. And it helps focus you on the area that you should be working on. And that helps in conjunction with your team having the freedom to stop you if it looks like you're going to move on the wrong area 
for the surgery or a wrong tooth removal, they can stop you. But I find that this helps streamline and go through the most important parts of a surgery prior to actually starting the surgery. And so when we do it, for example, we have a sedated patient. We'll get ready. The patient's been sedated. The patient's asleep. The lead surgical assistant will give the patient's name, give their age, give the referring doctor, give the planned procedure, any allergies. All of that's covered before I touch the patient surgically. And if there's any questions, anyone in the room can stop the procedure until we find that the answer is correct. Or the, the, if there's a question about any of that, we can stop the procedure and, and go verify what we're looking to do. And this has been invaluable, too, in keeping us from doing um, the wrong tooth, the wrong area. And if you do this long enough, you're apt to put the forcep on the wrong tooth. I'm just going to be honest with you. This will help keep you from doing that. That's my number six. My number five is another instrument or another piece of equipment, and that is a diode laser. I am, again, a big believer in a diode laser. Now, I don't use it every day, but I use it frequently. The reason I bought it was to help me with pathology, removing soft tissue neoplasms from, say, a mucosil on the lip, a fibroma on the gums, a granuloma, whatever. It was going to be used to help soft tissue neoplasm removal, biopsies. And I found that that is very good for doing those things. But the most important thing that it does in my hands and in my practice is when you get into a bleed that you're having trouble controlling, whether it be a soft tissue bleed, an actual vessel injury, or maybe a bony bleed where you have a capillary that's exposed in bone. These diode lasers can go in and you can coagulate and stop the bleeding. Uh, it's been wonderful. Had a patient that was on anticoagulants. We managed that with their physician, took them off of the anticoagulants per the recommendation. I think it was three days. And they were on um, Berlinta. We took them off for three days per the cardiologist. Took the tooth out. Patient did fine through the surgery. There was no bleeding at the end of the surgery. Patient goes home. We get a phone call from the patient's wife a few hours later. They had went to the local emergency room instead of calling us. The local emergency room was managing some bleeding from the extraction site. They didn't want me to come over at that point. I'm like, fine. So fast forward six hours later, I'm at home at dinner. I get a phone call from this patient's daughter. She's concerned they're going to send her downtown to one of the bigger hospitals because they can't manage this bleeding I told him to hold the patient. I ended up going to my office, getting my diode laser, going over to the emergency room, numbed up the patient, and within 10 minutes had the bleeding stopped, stabilized, the patient was discharged, and went home. These things are lifesavers if you have bleeding. I think that everybody that's doing a significant amount of surgery should have a diode laser in their practice just for that very fact that it will save you when you have a bleeding issue most of the time. So diode laser. My number four is a hand instrument. It's a side cutting rongeur. Now it's not what you think. You might think, hey, this guy is doing a side cutting rongeur to remove bone, to smooth up uh, and do alveoloplasty. Yes, I use that for that instrument for that particular purpose. But the real 
thing that I want to share with you is how you use side cutting rangers to take out root tips. I use root tip removal, um, side cutting rangers for root tip removal all the time. I was told when I was a resident, I was caught doing this and I've picked this up just happenstance when I was in the Navy and I was a general dentist and I was deployed. We didn't have very good forceps and I used a side cutting rangeur to take a root tip out one day. I'm like, that worked pretty well. So it worked. I had a positive experience. Ah, I was successful. Let me try that again. So I just continued to adopt that uh, method of removing root tips. And then when I went to residency after being in the Navy, I was doing it. And one of the attending surgeons saw me and pulled me to the side and didn't criticize me, but said, hey, look, you're you're teaching dental students. You're teaching people new things. That instrument is not used for that. And you're dulling the beaks and you're dulling the side cutting device on those rungers. So I'd ask that you not do that. Well, Dr. Hutla, if you're listening to me, I still cheated. I did it when you weren't looking. I still do it today. I recommend it. I think it's great. You may need to have a second set of side cutting rungers to remove bone because it will dull the beaks of those things. But I use them all the time. Use them for root tip removal. You'll be surprised at how good they work. I will give you a little bit of a a caveat on that. You've got to be aware that if you put too much pressure, you can clip off the top of the root that you're removing and cause your cause yourself to have a little bit more trouble. So you have a little bit of a tactile learning curve to engage the root tip with the uh, beaks of the rungers, and you can gently remove those things but if you put too much pressure on it too much hand pressure you can break the root off even shorter and make it more problematic so you just you there's a learning curve with it but trust me it's worth learning and it's worth using so side cutting rungers my number three is prf or platelet rich fibrin platelet rich fibrin i learned this from anthony sklar about i don't know six or eight years ago I came back, immediately implemented the equipment and the procedure in my office, and I have been using it to place in with my bone grafts for implants and ridge preservation. I use the membranes to cover bone grafts. I use the membranes to place in large defects that I'm not going to graft. It's been proven to reduce edema postoperatively. If you can reduce the swelling, you can reduce the pain. The recovery for the patient is improved. It's speeded up. And I've been amazed. Sometimes you get into situations, you know, thinking, man, this is a tough surgery. This is going to be painful. These patients are going to be miserable. They're going to be bouncing back multiple days for postoperative visits. I'm going to put in some PRF. Lo and behold, you pop in some PRF membranes and the patient comes back on schedule a week later and go, yeah, I didn't have a lot of pain at all. I didn't have any swelling or minimal swelling. And I'm a believer in it. If if you're wondering about PRF and how to implement that in your practice, I have a free CE course that you can take. It's prfbasics.com. That's where you can find it, prfbasics.com. You can go over there, enroll in it. Doesn't cost you anything. Just put put your information in, get signed up. And it's very much straightforward, very practical. And you can you can figure out a way to get this started in your practice, do sticky bone, do uh, PRF membranes to help you with your surgical cases. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge believer in it and recommend it. So my number three is PRF or platelet-rich fibrin. My number two is a CBCT. I think it's worth investing in it. 
Now, there's going to be some disagreement with me if I say that this should be a standard of care. Maybe we're there, maybe we're not. For me, it's a standard of care. I have figured out how much I had been missing with two-dimensional radiographs over the years. I'd been flying by the seat of my pants on some things that I thought I understood and thought I knew how to read a panorex, especially when it comes to like inferior alveolar nerve canals and their proximity to root tips on third molars and second molars. I was I was wrong a lot of times. The CD, uh, the CBCTs with their three-dimensional imaging has helped me understand that better. And I found pathology that I would have not otherwise seen on a two-dimensional. I've been able to pinpoint with pretty clear accuracy teeth that needed to be removed, impacted canines, impacted premolars, and supernumeraries without any issue. You can go straight to the area. You don't have to use that old-fashioned two-dimensional radiograph slob rule that we learned in dental school. And I mean, they might not even teach that anymore. But it helps me be a better surgeon. And I have become more conservative having had the CT scanner in my office and using it because there's sometimes uh, I'll see a case and think that I'm going to do it. And then when I get to looking at it, I talk with the patient and we defer surgery sometimes. I'm, in particular, it'll be like a third molar that's close to a nerve or on a nerve in lieu of a coronectomy. That would be a suggestion that I would give. And sometimes patients just decide not to do the surgery. And I'm okay with that. Uh, don't want to do any harm. Don't want to have any, you know, nerve injuries or sinus issues or whatever. Uh, so a CT scanner, if you're going to do surgery in any volume, that's something that has to be on your short list. And I think a lot of people are doing it now, but uh, they're still costly. The price point's still high, but I think it's worth it. It'll it'll keep you out of hot water and it'll help you be a better surgeon and a better clinician, in my opinion. So that's my number. That's my number two. And my number one, and again, no particular order, is a surgical headlight. All the overhead lights that we've ever had, there have been mixed reviews on whether or not they're good or, or bad, in my opinion. I have done field dentistry with the military, literally in a tent with no overhead light. And I've had a surgical headlight with me. I would take my own. And these things are, they're invaluable. Especially as you get older, your vision may start to wane a little bit and you're going to need a little extra illumination into the surgical field, especially if you get into a root tip situation or a dislodged root in a sinus or you're losing you're losing uh, the ability to see because of bleeding and you can't get the suction to keep up with the oozing in the root tip. The light will be so helpful there. And a lot of times, I, I don't even notice, we don't even have our overhead light off the chair turned on. We're just using my headlight, and we're focused on uh, using that headlight in the surgical field. And that right there, I mean, I use that every case. If I'm doing surgery, I have a surgical headlight on. And that's the reason I put it at the top, even though I said there was no significant order or no special order in which I'm sharing these with you. That one there, I use if, if I'm doing a surgery, I've got a headlight on and I use a, an LED, a med led uh, LED. I bought it through KLS. These things are manufactured out on the West coast, uh, maybe in Washington or Oregon. I'm not sure, but they have, I've had this one for going on eight years. 
no issues. I have rechargeable batteries. I have an extra set, so I swap those out as needed, and I get good good service out of the batteries still. And I just find that this thing has been a workhorse for me, and it's worth looking at if you don't have a headlight source that you're using in your surgeries. Uh, and there are other things out there. You don't have to use a dedicated headlight, but I do because I just do surgery. If you're doing restorative and you have headlights that connect or a, an illumination device that connects to your loops or something, I understand you can still use that for surgery, but definitely need that additional or augmented light source, in my opinion, to do good surgery. Um, and that's that's my 10. So I'll run back down through them again in order 10 to 1. No particular significance in the order itself. So my number 10 was a sea sponge. Protect the throat, protect the airway, use a, use a throat screen. Number nine, hemostatic gauze helps manage postoperative bleeding, especially in patients that may be anticoagulated, whether you know it or not, or whether you can't take them off the anticoagulation because the physician don't want you to. My number eight was a disposable number 15 scalpel. Protect your team, protect yourself, protect your patients. Uh, we don't want any um, workers' comp cases out there as a result of taking old blades and placing blades on an old scalpel handle. Russian forceps was my number seven. Pick up teeth. Don't use hemostats, uh, or I don't use them often. Number six, the surgical timeout. Not a product, not an instrument, but well worth the time and effort to do so. Uh, Number five, diode laser. Good for pathology, better for bleeding control. Number four, side cutting rongeurs. You can use them to take bone away. You can do alveoloplasty with them, but you can also take out root tips. Right, Dr. Hutla? Number three, PRF or platelet-rich fibrin. Change of practice. Helps with your bone graft, sticky bone, PRF membranes, reduces inflammation, thereby reducing pain, improved recovery for your patients. Well worth it. Number two, CBCT, cone beam scanner. Change the way you practice. You find more, you do less sometimes. And I'm okay with that. And then my number one was a surgical headlight. Augmented lighting for surgical procedures, I think, is an absolute must. And those are my top 10. If you've got different ones than that, which you likely do, based on your practice, I would love to hear from you. You can uh, send me an email, russell at oralsurgerysuccess.com. I'd love to hear what you have to say about your list and what you use because I can learn from you and I will implement the things that you share with me if they so um, work in my practice. I'm willing to try them. So share what your top 10 are with me if you get a chance. If you have comments on my top 10, please don't hesitate to send those my way as well. I'd love to hear from you from that standpoint. I hope this has been helpful for you. And uh, let me know what you implement. If you implement any of these out of your in, in, into your practice out of this list, I would love to know about it because that means that I brought a little value to you and your practice and your surgical um, outcomes will be improved. And that's what we're looking for, that collaborative approach here, guys. Thanks. Have a great one.